Good morning, Liberty Lake Church, both here and online. Why don't you join us as we sing? Good morning. Anybody enjoying all that liquid sunshine out there? So, um, first off, they changed. We changed a little bit the format of the bulletin. So, um, grab one of those if you haven't. Everything I'm about to tell you about is in here plus a little bit more. So um, it's a good way to 
to be able to check on the announcements and, and know what's going on through the week. Um, sermon notes are on the back of the bulletin, so you can... Um, oh, it depends on if you're listening to Shane or not. You can you know, go along and make notes, or you can doodle and, and draw things, or whatever you want to do. Uh, statements for your contributions for the past year will be mailed out by the 31st of January, so be sure that uh, Julie has your current mailing address in the office. Kids Rock is planning to open back soon. What? What? Email. Email. Email address. Okay. And what can I say? I'm a product of my my age. <laughs> All right. Kids Rock will be opening back up soon. Um, they're looking for volunteers so that we can make that happen. And that's uh, Kristen. Kristen, you here? Raise your hand. She's not here right now. So anyway, Kristen would be the one to talk to about that. Uh, family prayer night, January 26th, that's Tuesday at 5.30, and uh, men's gather and grub. Yeah, you got to like that. January 27th, that's Wednesday night um, at the Family Lab Center at 6.30, and Jacob, where are you? I need Jacob trip up here for the next one. How's everybody doing today? Good. So we started out um, how this whole ministry kind of came together is Shane actually would come over and work with me in my workshop on Fridays. Are we ready to go? Oh, we're ready to go, I think. Awesome. Hey, so, guys. So and a lot of you guys don't realize how uh, much Shane actually gets involved in doing other activities than just church life and how much he likes to learn and, and do things. So that's part of why he's been coming over to my workshop on Fridays for about the last six months or so. And I've been kind of helping him and teaching him a little bit of stuff on some of the projects I work on. And from that, our ideas have got together about trying to get men together and do this and, and get started with building a ministry. And so basically, we kind of brainstormed on some ideas of what would, what would we build if we got together. So basically, the man's birdhouse we were calling, and so we created this uh, boot brush. So basically, we were able to find some some of the, the replacement brushes for another boot system, but then developed and created how to build this all out of metal that was just raw materials. Yep, raw materials. So <clears throat> what we're doing is we're going to put together an eight-week course session that you guys will be able to come over to my workshop and build this um, and there is a little bit of cost involved in that um, which uh, is $50 for the eight-week course uh, but you get at the end of the day or the end of the sessions you will actually get uh, your own boot brush you will build that exact replica of that so yeah and included in that we were going to take a few minutes and talk about uh, do, do a bible study with it so it'll be uh, we're calling it craftsman ministry and uh, you will actually come and join us, and for the first 15 minutes or so, you'll hang out and communicate, chat with one another, talk about all of the wonderful things that you did or did not do that week, and then we'll get down to a biblical study, and we're going to start off by looking at Old Testament characters and how God used men who were uh, of pretty much no significance at all and called them into great things, 
and, uh, and because of God's empowerment and God's direction, they were able to accomplish feats that they never dreamed possible. And then hopefully, for the hour and a half after that, we're going to help you with Jacob's direction. And some of you have skill sets in this. You can do it as well, uh, but help you craft and build this out of two pieces of angle iron and two flat pieces of sheet metal. And we'll go through the process that you guys will actually see how all that takes place all the way down into how I painted it and, you know, going and mix and paint. So there's, there's a multiple layer of different steps that it takes to get to that as far as different tooling that you guys will get a chance to actually physically hands-on get to use. And then also, we want to talk a little bit about the age demographic. We don't really want guys any younger than 13 years old just because of the safety with tools and stuff. But so basically, it's thir the age of 13 and up um, are welcome, obviously. Um, and then we are providing some safety glasses and hearing protection. But we do ask that when you guys show up that you do dress appropriate, you know, closed-toed shoes. This is similar. not the safety glass that we're providing. Right. So basically similar to like Shane, obviously <clears throat> you're not going to need to go out and buy yourself a welding jacket or anything like that. But, uh, you know, just be prepared that, you know, you're going to be working with tools and stuff and uh, things like that. If you have any more questions, catch us out at the table. We have the material out there. We can show you what this looked like when it started. And uh, there's a, there'll be a video playing in the uh, announcement package, it actually shows you some of the steps that we went through to get there. So come and talk to Jacob. He'd love to walk you through this. And uh, we are looking forward to the potential of uh, more. So right on. come and see us. Cool. Thank you, guys. <laughs> and the safest. All right. You want to stand with us as we continue in worship.
Oh
Father, that that would be our cry this morning, that would be our prayer as we consider what you are doing in the text today, what uh, you are suffering in the text today, and uh, Father, how our lives um, in many, many ways, unfortunately, repeat the same process as much as I'd like to uh, deny that, uh, I, I see it in my own heart. So help us, Lord. To open your word today, help us to open our hearts to see what you are doing and to hear from you this morning, that we would be changed and live differently in light of your word. God, we thank you for this time, and I just thank you for this body and this privilege that we have to share this time together in your name. Amen. Kids that are leaving for nursery, you guys are dismissed.
couple of things. I just want to take care of some business first off. Uh, the first thing I have to do is I have to share with you that I was wrong last week. Uh, I actually made a, a statement that uh, it was uh, Herod's wife that had the dream, but it was actually Potiphar's wife. And if you look in, you can check this out. So you got Pilate. Did I say Potiphar? Pilate. All right. I'm on to the next thing already. Um, oh, for two. I won't, show you, I won't share with you the other times that I've done that. Um, it's Pilate's wife. Yes, thank you. And you can find that text. You can go in and read the whole story yourself in Matthew 26, verse 19. So that's the, that's the spot. Jump in there. Make sure you write that down. Um, and just so that you guys are, are not having some weird thought that I am flawless, which I'm not even sure how you'd get there this morning, but just to clarify... I came in this morning and I was going through my notes and I realized several of the texts didn't make any sense at all to me. And some of them had different, like the wrong name attached. One of them I read and I'm like, maybe, but not the best. Uh, so you have in your bulletin all this work that Julie did with references and all that stuff. Several of them are different today. So numbers, number three, number four, and number seven, you'll want to note differently. So um, that is the portion of the service where I share my normal failures, and we'll begin to deal with heart issues now. Yay! Aren't you guys excited you're here? I am too. Have you guys ever been, I don't know, if you are you guys reading ahead? Is anybody reading ahead at all? I mean, you guys know where I'm going next, right? It's going to be a shocker. It's going to be the next section in Mark. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, like, we've been doing this for a year together. And uh, or I don't know how long we've been at Mark, but uh, so when 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 we're done with this passage, you guys can read ahead and see if you actually want to come to church or not. Um, if if you like the if you like what's coming, but this morning we're talking about the Jesus being mocked and uh, what the what the guards do to Jesus in this process and the way in which they treat him. And I thought to myself, I was thinking back in my own life, trying to think of times where where I could identify with this. And I've been made fun of. I've been small most of my life. Um, and uh, when I was, I was thinking about one of the times where I got ridiculed quite badly uh, or made, made fun of in a, in a very unkind way, uh, was uh, right as I got my job, I was working for Cenex at a feed store. I weighed 90, I was, I th- I was somewhere around 95 pounds at the age of 16 years old. Um, and I mean, I was moving 130-pound hay bales, and, you know, sacks of feed that weighed more than me at that time. And uh, some of the guys that were there before I came in were, were a little bit older, but juveniles. And uh, they thought it was fun to make, small, make fun of the small guy. And so um, I, got, I had several days at work that I thought, this is not nice. I don't like being here. I didn't like being small. And so uh, uh, being a <clears throat> sassy young, small man with a really sharp tongue, I uh, made mincemeat out of them in a, a several occasions where I made them look like idiots. <sighs> yeah, it's funny how you don't feel good about that when you start thinking about it later, is it? You know, at the time as a child, when we do some of these things, when we do certain behaviors, we're just like, that's right, and don't you forget it. And then you come and you start reading the Bible and you start trying to, to, to talk about how it applies to our heart and our lives, and you realize, oh my goodness, what was wrong with me? Um, and, and sometimes you have to say, what is wrong with me? But this morning we're going to look at Jesus being mocked, and 
I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Um, we're going to take a few minutes and look at this. And then we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to look at the Pharisees and the, the chief priests and, and the mockery of God that they were exercising in this process. And we're going to end today wrestling with the reality of our own hearts and how many, many times, even Paul speaks to the, the war that is waged between this good and evil and the desires of our flesh and the desires of the Spirit and, and how deeply I, I feel in my own heart that there's, there's moments where I mock Christ in a similar fashion as the chief priests do. Um, and you'll see what that looks like, and, and we'll allow the Lord to do His work in your lives as well. So, isn't that exciting? Aren't you guys ready? All right, let's begin. Um, Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 16, says this. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, Pilate. That's, I added that just so you guys know I know where we're at. <clears throat> and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple robe, purple cloak, and twisted uh, together a crown of thorns. They put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. I think one of the first things that jumped out to me that really grabbed me is that they're, they're mocking him with truth. Isn't that the, the craziest part of this? This is who Jesus is actually saying that he is. It's who the Pharisees and the chief priests know that he's claiming to be. It's, it's the problem that they have with him. They're, they're claiming that he's a heretic, that he's, that he's claiming to be equal with God, and that he's making these false claims. But what we will see in our history, because we can look back and we, we can see the completion of this story, that Jesus is being mocked for, for truth about who he is. Now, one of the processes I think we need to understand is that the, I don't believe Jesus is getting special treatment by the battalion here. My, my, my understanding of how uh, criminals were treated at that time were pretty similar. They would, they would be punished in certain ways with being flogged and, and struck by, by the guys and, and treated in, in a very harsh way like this. But to have the purple robes put on him, to have the crown made for his head, to have them kneeling and, and mocking him by, by pretending to pay homage to him. What an incredible insult. I was reading with uh, uh, Travis and I were looking at God, the Gospel of John this last week, reading uh, just verse 1 and uh, just reflecting on who John, the Gospel of John, says Christ is. And, and it really has deeply impacted uh, my view of how they're treating Christ at this moment and, and the weight in which um, he has surrendered himself to be treated so horribly. The purple cloak, I was thinking, man, why would they even reference purple cloak? Uh, it, it's part of the royalty. We know that. Um, you can look at it. Uh, it they even mentioned purple uh, clothing in, in Esther. Uh, Gideon, I think, references it at one of the times when he's actually collecting things from the king of Midian. Uh, he actually gathers one of the a purple cloak or the robe that was on the king. But in Esther chapter 15, we actually see it, uh, The this uh, moment where Mordecai is is clothed in royal uh, royal apparel before the king, and it says this eight fifteen of Esther, 
Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a golden crown, a great golden crown, and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. And so here, here again, this idea of, of royalty, they, they went and found something pretty expensive to throw on Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't just a, a simple cloth that they put on him. They made some effort. And, and to, to twist together a crown of thorns. Um, I, I, I have been in thorns. Have you guys been in thorns? Have you been in dead thorns? How many of you have been through the, the dead ones that are dry and hard and they actually catch you? And, and like penetrate genes and all that stuff. I can't imagine that this is a pleasant experience. So do you have a picture? I mean, just for, for a minute, imagine the picture of Christ. Thorns on his head as a crown, a purple cloak. Men around him jeering him. Hail, King of the Jews, kneeling to mock him while they're hitting him in the head with a reed. He's already been scourged. Thank you. I know, I, but it, it's part of the it, it's it's the reality of where he's at. It's exactly what he had. His back is is bleeding from the scourging that he's taken. This is this is an ongoing process of him being beaten and mocked and and prepared for crucifixion. You know, we see in Isaiah that this was coming. Um, we see in Isaiah that, that this was expected of the coming, the salvation that was coming through the Lord. This promised one of God that was going to take away our sins. He was going to carry these burdens and he was going to be treated shamefully. Look in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, 7 says this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his, souls make, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the promised Messiah. This is Jesus who is being prepared for the crucifixion. He's being mocked and treated horribly. 
innocent. Innocent. Even Pilate, the Roman governor, says this man is innocent. We should release him. What has he done? I think at one point he actually says, what evil has he done? In fact, if you look at uh, John chapter 18, In this account, uh, you actually see the the Pharisees trying to, or the chief priests trying to defend themselves just a little bit. <clears throat> Pilate is responding to their accusations in John chapter eighteen, verse twenty-eight. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, would we not have, uh, would we not have delivered him over to you? Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You see that? The Pharisees can't even, their mockery of God in this moment is so incredible. They can't even enter Pilate's house to deliver to him somebody that they have falsely accused, that they are lying about, that, they are gonna try, that they're trying to kill, and they've been trying to kill him. Just, just off of a whim. Is murder a big deal in the Ten Commandments? Is lying a big deal in the Ten Commandments? Yeah, it happens to make the top ten, you guys. Like, hello? But they're not going to enter Pilate's house so that they can have what? They can eat their Passover meal, which is supposed to be about them being clean and pure from sin because they faithfully followed God, so they're right to go before the throne. They're right to do this sacrifice. They're, they're right to partake of this meal, and yet they are, they are participating in a lie and in per- planning murder, and eventually they will be successful in that process. You see the mockery in that moment? And even Pilate says, well, what do I have to do with this? Go try and buy your own laws. And, go, and, and the, the Pharisees say, well, if he hadn't committed anything, we wouldn't have him here. Trust us. Just kill him. Because we're honest people. Honestly. Remember we did that last week. You see the mockery of God in this moment? Here they're, they're holding to their religious rules while they are sinning, while they're violating God's word, while they're violating the law. And it's the law that they're actually arguing is why they can't go in. Well, it's their law, not God's. Jesus experiences the suffering that he experiences in preparation for his crucifixion because of the sin in our lives, as we see in Isaiah. He experiences experiences the mockery and the the mistreatment that was due us. It's amazing how faithful uh, the the Pharisees are, the chief priests are, to following rules. Look at what uh, we see in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 1. Jesus is speaking to them again. 
He's actually speaking to the crowds here and his disciples, but he's speaking about the Pharisees and the scribes. He says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but do not, uh, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay on people's shoulders. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move uh, them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their uh, phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know, we watch in this particular uh, time, we watch the scribes and Pharisees and the chief priests, and they take all the, the, the places of honor. And Jesus is pointing this out, that they, tell, uh, they say all these things, but they don't do them, right? We've heard that say, do what I tell you, not what I do. We've all heard that comment. I mean, obviously, it comes right from Jesus, so it must be biblical. When parents say, don't do what I'm doing, do what I tell you to do. What do your kids do? They do what you do. They do what you show them how to do. It's called discipleship. Works pretty good, even when it's not, when you don't want them doing the stuff that you do. Some of you are good Christians. But I have in my mind a moment when my, one of my boys, I don't remember which one, repeated something that I had said, and it got out in a group that I didn't think should probably know that I might have said something like that, like in front of my parents. Must be public school. We were homeschooling at the time. What is that? Man, it's amazing what we learn. Here the chief priests are, they're, they're, they are so bent on their rules and their regulation and their religiousness. They, they are so deceived by this that they mock God's law to, to the point where they show up in front of Pilate with Jesus to kill him. But they won't enter into his house because they need to stay clean to be able to take the Passover. Do you see the mockery in that? Isn't that incredible? How could anybody be that blind? Well, let's talk about that. Should I apologize ahead of time? No, let's not. Romans chapter 2. Some of you knew I was going there, and I apologize. Wait, no, I'm not doing that. Romans chapter 2. Look at what Paul says. Romans chapter 2, verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision become be regarded as circumcision? 
then he who is physically uncircumcised keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, and by the Spirit, or by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. What I love about that, and we won't take the time to go back and look at this, but you actually see there's Old Testament passages. We'll, we'll see it in Jeremiah when we get into Jeremiah. But even in the Old Testament, they were, t- they were teaching uh, the Jews that circumcision was not just about the physical act. It wasn't about being a Jew and being identified as, as a Jew. It was also about having a heart that lived in obedience to God. In fact, uh, I believe it's Samuel that says that to, to King Saul, that God desires obedience more than sacrifice. The chief priests had a heart issue that put them in a condition where they could profess to be following the law while breaking it overtly, publicly, on trial. Do we do the same? This is what I was wrestling with this week. Do I do the same thing? Do I claim to be a Christ follower and then behave otherwise? Not on Sundays. Not here. (laughs) I have too many witnesses. You guys all know how I'm supposed to behave, right? Isn't that the way we are? We're, we do really well here, but how do we do at home? How do we do later? How do we do when things aren't going the way we want them? Look at what 1 John says. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I got to tell you that part of part of what I wrestle with in that text is that I watch in my own life where I drop I fail. Where I claim to be a Christ follower, I want to be a Christ follower, I don't want to be a mess. I don't want to I don't want to sin, I don't want to choose those things. And then I see in my life where I do and sometimes they catch me off guard, sometimes it's a it's a bad attitude or it's a, a combination of circumstances and other times I found in my own life I know what I'm stepping into and I do it anyway. Yeah, what's the, yeah, right? Doesn't that drive you nuts? It should drive us nuts. It should be very frustrating to us. It should, in fact, I, I think that at times we should have the same response that Paul has, which we're going to look at here in just a second. But here's, here's the, the part that really terrifies me. 
How is it that the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, those who studied the law, those who mastered the law, who spent their days going through the law, I mean, the scribes were the ones that were rewriting or translating Scripture and, 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 and writing it down and, and doing all of those pieces. The Pharisees were teachers of the law. They were supposed to be holding all of this stuff true and to the point and keeping God's people on course. And they're the ones that so completely are deceived that they're able to think they can be clean while pretending to be clean when sin is running rampant in their lives. How do they get there? How could they be that deceived? And is it possible that that could be the condition of us in the church? Is it possible that we could be convinced we're followers of Jesus because we've said a prayer? Or we've liked the pastor's message on Facebook. That's a joke. I just I was going for something relevant. Or I don't know if that's even relevant, but it's now. But what is it that we have in our lives that we've convinced ourselves we're spiritual and so therefore we're okay even when we're looking at sin? When we read scripture and it says you should not behave this way, but we do. I think we need to take a minute and really reflect in our own hearts and say, God, are we like this? Have I become so convinced of my religion that I could be deceived to be in sin and, and be mocking the very person who died for my, my salvation, who died to save the world? Is it possible that we are mocking Jesus in the same way that the chief priests have? Paul says in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15, What then? Are we to sin because we are no, uh, not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We're not going to read it uh, this morning, but I want you to mark down in your notes, jump over to, to Romans chapter 7, and just write in your notes, because I want you to follow up with this later, read through verses 13 through 25. Paul himself describes this 
this battle that he's experienced in that he's experiencing in his flesh in his desire to submit himself to be a slave of righteousness to surrender his life to the new nature that he's been given in Christ but there's this ongoing warfare that he has if you and I are new in Christ then we should surrender our lives to live that way present our bodies now <clears throat> you know I think of that in my own life What's the danger in this? Pharisees are really good at making up rules, right? They made lots of rules. They would have a rule, and so they would make a rule to help keep the rule. You guys ever done that? Any of you ever experienced church where it's not okay to do this? Uh, so we'll just the most simple one to, to grab a hold of uh, is drunkenness, right? That, that's an easy one because we can make up lots of rules. So if, if being drunks, wrong, then to be a good Christian, we shouldn't even drink alcohol. In fact, if we're really good Christians, we won't even talk about alcohol. And we'll be sure to be condemning of those that do, right? And, and yet, when you look at the Word of God, what does it say? Don't be a drunk. So if driving the speed limit is a good thing, then driving one mile an hour under the speed limit must be a more Jesus-like thing to do, right? Because now you're, you're safe from going over. In fact, if we really take this all the way to the end of it, you should probably get somebody else to drive so that you can sit there and be at peace with yourself and not ever get mad at anybody else for the dumb things that they do on the road. We're really good at making up rules and adding things to what it means to be a follower of Christ. But, but my question that I've been wrestling with my own heart this week, am I mocking God by ignoring the very simple things that he gives us to be as a church? Take the simplest one that he gave us all. Love one another as I loved you. He gave that to the church, to you and to me. We're supposed to love one another as Christ loved us. How did he love us? In the midst of being mocked and beaten for his innocence, for our guilt. He forgives us before we're even interested in forgiveness. Uh, Ephesians, or I, I, now I'm, I'm going to blank on the address, forget the address. He says that he was weak, or while we were weak, and we were in sin, and we were his enemy, he died for us. Somebody give me that reference. Yes. Ah. Some of you have it, but you're afraid to say anything, but it was okay to say something. It's in that condition that Christ died for us and offered us his forgiveness. And yet we're told to love one another. And how often do we come to church reading our Bible angry at a brother in the church? Is that not the same thing that the Pharisees and the chief priests are doing to Jesus at this moment? Is it not the same thing? If we're going to look at the Word of God and claim to be followers of God and then not do it, I don't see how there's any difference between us and what the chief priests have done. You guys are going to love this. I must be done because my computer's restarted and it's gone blank. <laughs> I love technology. What does this mean for you and for me this week? I want to really challenge you. 
Um, I, I think as a church, we are educated beyond our obedience. And what I mean by that is that we have a ton of studies. We know a lot about the Word of God. We have all kinds of education and tools that we can go in and read and learn. And, and I don't know how many of you have more than one Bible study a week that you're doing, but the question that I have for us is, are we obeying it? Maybe part of what we need to do is we need to scale back how much information we're dumping into our heads, and we need to start wrestling with the information we have in our heads and ask the question, God, am I living this way? I, I, I think at some level we've had to actually become comfortable with living in disobedience. I mean, if you, if you read in the Bible that it says to love your neighbor as yourself, and you read that every single day, or, or you're in another Bible study where it says that you're supposed to, uh, uh, well, like we saw in, in 1 John, that if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you're supposed to follow walk as Jesus walked. And if you start watching how he walked and watch the things that he did, you'll realize that you don't do very good at that. And at some point, we have to, in our own heads, become okay with constantly being failures. Right? Because otherwise it drives us nuts. How many of you guys like failing daily? None of us sign up for that. None of you go to work today going, you know what, I'm going to practice my spiritual gift of failure. At work, we don't do that. Why? Because it's important to us to get it right. And, and I don't, I'm, I guess maybe I'm confessing my own heart here. I don't want to make a religion of rules. I don't want to produce what, what the Pharisees have produced. What I want to say is, God, I'm not, I am struggling, as Paul talks about in, in Romans 7, I'm struggling with this flesh thing. I, I don't do the things I want to do, and I'm doing the things I don't want to do. Wretched man that I am. I, I want to be honest about that, and I want to address those issues and, and, and actually engage that and say, Lord, help. You've got to change this heart. And then be honest. I'm a wreck. Some days I'm better than others. Some days I'm just a mess. And I open the Word of God and I'm like, ah, who is that guy? Let's not mock Jesus or God this week. Even if you have to just hone it down to one verse, one passage, one area in your life, lay that before the Lord and surrender it to the King. I believe it is God's intent to, to, to take us through things in our life, to reveal these areas that we're struggling in, to expose them so that He can address them. So let's do that together. I know you can't t- share your struggles with everybody, but find someone you can. And if you're a guy and you need to talk to somebody, i got a whole list of guys that need to talk to somebody. I'll get you connected. If you're a gal that wants to talk to somebody, talk to Julie. <laughs> but I'm serious. In my heart, I feel like I don't want to just, I don't want to be the person that's comfortable with, with just constantly not following and not obeying and, and struggling in those things. And I'm not, I mean, let me, let me rephrase this, you guys. I'm not constantly in this thing. It's just every time uh, I, I see, I'm in the Word of God, I see more and more sin in my life, more and more failure, more and more uh, that doesn't honor God, and I want to get rid of it. I hope you guys know I'm not driving down the road like with my arm out the window yelling at every person that I pass. 
So I, I fear it sometimes. Some of you could think that's what I'm like, and it's really not. I, I do have days where I don't actually get mad at people I'm driving around. They're more than they used to be. So I'm, I'm getting better, but I, I guess my I just don't want you to I, I I want you to understand I'm trying to be really honest and and transparent with you guys to let you know that this is a real struggle for me, and I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't I don't want to be the Christian that says, "Oh yeah, I'm following Jesus," but then disregard what I hear in His Word, what I see in His Word, and I don't believe that's what God's called us to be. So whatever that looks like, wherever you're at, the beauty of the Christian faith, one of the things I love the most about what God does is that He's willing to start wherever we're at. Right? You don't have to, you don't have to get to a certain level of messed upness, which I'm t- pretty sure I made that up. Uh, you don't have to get to any special point uh, uh, of failure before He's ready to work with you, or, or you don't have to polish up everything to make it look a certain way before He's willing to come in and work. They'll take us right where we're at. So the process is simple. It's just painful. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I've been deeply convicted this week about the areas in my life that mock you and your word, that mock the very life of Jesus that was given. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our own hearts where we are behaving in a similar fashion, where we claim to be followers of you, but we live in a way that is no different than the world. Father, I pray that you would do the work that is necessary in our hearts to make us your people, and that you would crush any of the lies and the deception that we may be living in in our religion that would make us feel like we are good, feel like we have arrived or have an appearance of righteousness. Father, you would use your word and the power of your spirit to convict our hearts and our souls and that you would begin to transform us. You're not beginning to transform us. You're in the process of it. Continue to do the work that you have promised to do. Soften our hearts, open our ears, and open our eyes to see what you are doing. God, we want to love you and serve you as your children should, but we need your help. So would you guide us this week? And I pray, Lord, that you would put on every believer's heart in this room a specific area, a passage. Maybe it's just one verse, one, one thing in a verse that you would call us out in, that you would call us up into godly behavior, into godly living, into a transformed heart that would surrender those things in obedience to your will. God, I pray that you would be glorified in the worship of your church this week as we live for you every day of our life, as we celebrate and extol your praises in our work, in our homes, in our play, in our daily routines. God, don't let this be the only place that we worship you. Because my fear is if that if this is the only place we worship, then it is vain to make us worshipers of you all day, all week, for your glory and your glory alone. Amen.
Have a good week. We'll see y'all next week.